Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Owatari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man who really knows how to woo the ladies. You know, calling them dogs. That's uh, that's always a very effective uh, method. I am the Adam Glass, and I'm I'm just a I'm just a little guy. I'm just a little ugly guy. <laughs> yeah. I'm just I'm just a little ugly. <laughs> You're guy. not as much of a dog as you think you are. Well, thank you. That's very kind of you, uh, Pat. Is we it? also have we've also have this week our. Uh, our dear friend Adam Speakerman is joining us once again. Hello, Adam. Hello again. Always glad to have you. Glad to be back. Oh, yeah. so. Before we get into the movie this week, I do want to talk about our Patreon real quick. It's patreon.com slash lostincriterion. Over there for just a dollar a month, you can help keep us going and get access to some bonus content. We do a non-criterion film over there every month, and supporters get to vote on what we're going to watch. I already have a feeling that this month we're definitely going to do the full-length versions of all the films we're about to talk about <laughs> yeah. uh, as this month's list. Um, but we've done a pretty pretty wide array of things over there now that's one dollar a month get you the vote get you access to all 50 of the of the back uh, episodes and get your ear if you want to suggest a list because i'm always happy to take a list a little above that at five dollars we'd like to thank those folks on air thank you so much to our current five dollar supporters eric cordonado stephen goldmeyer chris otto and our newest five dollar supporter uh, Andrew Jarrett, who just uh, just joined up just a couple of weeks ago oh, by the time this like airs. It. Just a couple of days ago when I'm actually saying this. Uh, <clears throat> a little above that, we do something I think is pretty dang special. At $10 and above, Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we watched recently. I get that printed up on a postcard and mail that off once a month with a little personalized thank you note. We also like to thank those folks on air. Thank you so much to our ten dollars and above supporters: Jason Westhaver, Michael Graf, Nina Bajnak, Patrick Yako, and hey, Adam Speakerman. Thanks, hey. Adam. You're thank welcome. You. <laughs> Glad to be a supporter. You can head over to Patreon.com/slash Lost in Criterion if you want to support us. If you want to check out those postcards or buy any of the older ones, you can head over to Redbubble.com, search for Lost in Criterion there, and they ought to come up. The actual web address on Redbubble is too hard to tell you yes. in a way that yeah. makes sense so just search for lost and criterion it'll work out a little bit better uh, plus when you search for lost and criterion you can see all the other people who are just making stickers out of the criterion covers yeah, and just somehow not getting takedown notices cover. <laughs> yeah uh, but uh, thank you so much to our supporters and thank you so much for listening this week we are starting a box set the golden age of television uh, it is eight telefilms uh, we're recording this out of order, though, so Pat and I have already watched <laughs> yeah. the uh, all of them, actually, at this point, uh, <laughs> as we talk about Disc 1. Uh, disc 1 is Marty, Patterns, and No Time for Sergeants. Uh, Marty, by Patty Chayefsky, who's one of my favorite screenwriters. Patterns, written by Rod Serling. And No Time for Sergeants, I uh, don't know who actually wrote that, but it's starring Andy Griffith in, like, the first thing he ever did. Uh so that's neat. Yeah. All of these yeah. all of these come from a uh well, a variety of 
live drama series in the 50s. Uh, I think every single one of these is from the 50s. The shows yeah, themselves 50, ran a little longer 55, 56, and 58, I think. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this week's at least. Yeah, and the yeah, rest yeah, of them are, ones, yeah. are within that window, I think. Um, the old they, uh, movie of the week days, which they stopped doing yeah. in the, the 90s, more or less. So, But like these kinds right. of series, they were very much the event you know every yeah. week of uh sunday nights for the various networks so uh, yeah, yeah ronald ronald reagan hosted i think like the u.s steel hour was one of them and that was a movie of the week like every week like this so yep yeah uh yeah they were weekly and they were live the way you had to do it uh so our recordings here are from uh kineoscope um kinescope kinescope there we go <laughs> Ah, listen, man, I will put extra syllables into anything I want to put extra <laughs> yeah. syllables in. Our go. language, other uh, languages, anything. <laughs> you want to, we it. got it, extra it. syllables. Uh, Adam, uh, you sent me a nice diagram, but uh, do you want to take the reins and explain yeah. the, the so, kinescope process? I'll kinescope see how process. well I can remember this. Uh, <laughs> magnetic uh, tape recording has been around since at least the 30s and i think it like was used heavily for like fantasia was like the first stereo film and i think they used magnetic tape and uh so they were able to record audio uh live with magnetic tape for quite a while um which makes sense if you consider how dominant radio was for so long and they were figuring out ways to try to record radio um for high fidelity playback so that that you didn't weren't just limited to like being in the major markets um so a kinescope, the problem was they had no way to record video to magnetic tape. That would take a little bit longer, especially after television broadcasts started. Um, and a kinescope was basically a small TV screen that they aimed a 16 millimeter camera at. And so you had the live cam- uh, television camera would be sending things to like the booth that then sends it out to broadcast. And then other cables that would feed the magnetic tapes recording the audio and yet another cable that was running to display the live feed on that like six that kinescope monitor uh which was a special kind of monitor that could sync to the 16 millimeter camera which was a special kind of camera that could sync to the you know 29.97 uh frame rate of the broadcast and uh also had various contrasting gamma adjustments made to it so that you could actually shoot a tv and expose it without it looking you know horrible um it's like one thing a lot of people don't realize is pretty much anytime you ever see a screen ever in any movie or tv show doesn't really matter the era that's an optical effect where they've inserted a screen onto it because it's so hard to shoot a screen and get you know proper you know playback where it looks okay um But 16 millimeter video of a low resolution image on a small screen doesn't really give you a huge amount of quality, but it was a way to actually record the video and be able to, uh, you know, get rush prints made of the 16 millimeter. And then those could be sent out to other markets and whatnot so that they could play this back again, Um, you know, you know, so if they shot something in New York, you know, they could, you know, play it back in Chicago or L.A. Um, in all the other major markets uh, via right. kinescope. Um, and then uh, no one really liked these, which is why these are mostly limited to those first couple of years of television. 
Um, and it's also part of why I Love Lucy uh, revolutionized things where uh, I think Carl Freund was the cinematographer who worked with you know Desilu Productions to create the three camera uh, setup and the lighting design for a sitcom so that they sh- could shoot multi-sync cameras on 35 millimeter um, and on three cameras at once get all the coverage they needed so they could record a show you know in one you know day and then be yeah. able to actually edit it and it would they were edited on film uh, and everything and then that high quality 35 millimeter print could then be used to uh, make reduction prints for smaller markets or send a full quality print so that then the broadcasters could then air that. And so there, that was one of the first ways to get around these kinds of limitations of having to do it live was like actually starting to use like a movie, you know, filmmaking workflow for it. So. Yeah. Well, it's uh, it technologically innovative and very interesting, mm-hmm. obviously innovative. They're the yeah. first people doing it. They got to yeah. innovate it. Um, uh, there's actually an interesting. I watched a YouTube video about it. I think like a, f- a couple years ago. But there, the uh, YouTube channel Veritasium. It's a kind of a su- sort of sciency YouTube channel. Uh, not always great, but they did a one about like the invention of videotape, and they talked about the Kinesco first and how mm-hmm. why you would might be want to get away from that system and how it's not maybe not ideal for like wide mass market release of uh, video or of uh, you know footage so yeah yeah well um it's not very ideal which is one reason why uh these eight films that we have in this entire collection for the most part uh had only been seen once mm-hmm. until the early 80s um and then they so, aired on KCET which is channel 5 here in LA uh, they're yeah. actually like we actually have that on as our morning news every morning, uh, and so I've been seeing all their promos. They're like seventy five years of KCET, you know, celebrating this year. So they were one of uh, the first uh, LA based television channels, and then yeah, they did produce this whole golden age of television series in the early eighties, and yeah, pulled pulled up all these old kinescopes, which are probably deposited at the Paley Center. Uh, the Paley Center mm-hmm. is kind of a museum of television here in Los Angeles, and they do a lot of events for television people. Like, they'll do lots of different, uh, like, we got all of the Parks and Rec people here for a panel, and let's do a special talking to them about it. And so there's lots of different things that they do, but they also act as a repository for a lot of television history. So that's where yeah. that's where these kinescopes probably exist if they're not at UCLA Archive. So Right, right. <laughs> um yeah, the uh, the golden age of television as a show uh, in the early '80s was uh, produced by a guy named Sonny Fox. What Criterion has released is essentially just that show. Uh, they are the the recordings uh, uh, touched up for that release. The introductions are from that show. <laughs> yeah. uh, mm-hmm. It is it is just that. Now, I say most most of what we'll be watching over the course of this were. Uh, had only ever been seen those two times, but that's not entirely true uh, for two of the ones that we'll be watching tonight, actually. Um, Patterns was so popular that they did it again the next month. Uh, They just redid the live broadcast. Um, Did it again live, too. Uh, And that's based off of the New York Times review 
the New York Times reviewer said he loved it so much that they needed to do it again, so they did it again. <laughs> uh, and then Marty had actually been part of a uh, retrospective at the Museum of Modern Art in New York in the early 60s that they did a, a look back at TV, uh, essentially the golden age of television as well, except only less than a decade after it had originally aired instead of yeah. looking back 30 years on another generation by but yeah um, um it also kind of shows you that for patterns they chose to just do it live again rather than air right the kinescope, right, right, you know? right right like that how, shows you what they actually thought of kinescopes yeah so right. yeah they didn't uh they didn't want to go that route yeah <laughs> so so yeah uh, another aspect of the reason that these came back into uh public consumption in the 80s is that technology had um, progressed enough that they could be updated and, and fixed mm-hmm. <laughs> and not look like total garbage, uh, you know, which is probably another aspect of only why we only have eight of them, right, is that maybe, uh, uh, licensing more costs of them. as well, probably, yeah. you know, like the right. like a lot of these the struggle in putting together a set like this would be in like the licensing costs with the different oh, yeah, rights yeah, holders. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. so like, and the reason why they probably pulled from that golden age of television series is they already had the legal side of it all worked out. Right. Right. So, right. Right. Uh, but yeah, that's actually probably more to do with like putting them all together than, than anything else. So certainly makes uh, sense. Well, as far as the, the tech goes, um, <laughs> that's a, that's about all we need to cover, I think. Um, yeah, it's yeah. just the other aspect of this is that all of the ones we'll be watching are written for the shows. Um, prior to the earliest ones, uh, these play shows, it was pretty common for them to do uh, public domain work. Um, and it suggested that the... Uh, the version, I think it was, I think it was U.S. Steel. I could be wrong, but the version of Macbeth that they did was probably more people saw Macbeth on U.S. Steel than had ever seen <laughs> Macbeth uh, yeah. since it was written. That um, uh, that whole concept is actually why Roberto Rossellini stopped making feature films and started making all of these television historical like miniseries and dramas in the, the mm-hmm. late fifties because he really wanted to bring the art of cinema as well as like all of the, you know, uh, for, for him, a lot of it was like the history of like, you know, doing like a history of the de Medici's or something, uh, and to the masses. And he was like, you know, I can make a movie that, you know, 2 million people in Italy will see, or I can make a TV show and like 50 million people will see it. And so he was like, it's crazy. If you want everyone to see your stuff, you should be on TV. Uh, and that's actually one of the Criterion's Eclipse sets is the uh, Roberto Rossellini's history films. Uh, yeah. But that was that was definitely a big, like, uh, like center of debate in some respects back then. Is like you know TV reaches so more peop- many more people, but it's like you know it's not film, which is always held up on a pedestal. Uh, and but then you look at you know. Marty goes on to be remade as a movie and wins best picture like a year or two later. Right, like, right, so right, 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 TV right. also wasn't being held in a contemptuous place that it would later be held in. So it was, uh, it was still can 
especially because all this was live and they're pulling from all of these incredible New York actors and the Stella Adler, you know, stable of uh, all this great new style of dramatic acting. Uh, The quality was really high and people treated it like theater and didn't look down on it at this time. So, Right. And you have to imagine that like we, oddly enough, in a future episode that will come after this, Adam and I discuss (laughs) like sort of like there's a sort of, um, a reverence for the fact that this is done live and we were kind of talking about how there's sort of a material there's a um there's sort of a materials view you could take of that versus a sort of like kind of like higher minded view that you can take of that where like mm-hmm. people will put like you kind of wonder if like people were putting it on elevating tv at this time a little bit because they knew it was live and mm-hmm. which gives it the air of being a play that you're going to the theater for right which is highbrow right like it's considered yep. relatively high class but then Adam and I were also talking about the fact that like that's all probably true. People like people do contain all that sort of in their head, but at the same time, materially, there's no practical difference for the audience. Like in, mm-hmm. in a material sense, like you're just sitting down and watching a TV show. Assuming the actors don't like screw it up completely, which they shouldn't. They're all very good at their job. Um, Usually, they, you're like whether it's recorded or not, it's the same thing for the audience, except for what they in- contain internally. Where they've internalized the idea that this is live, so somehow it's higher stakes and it's more, mm-hmm. it's better, it's more important. It's just an yeah. interesting sort of para- like sort of thing to think about there. Yeah, and it even gets uh, into the the side of like how you actually shoot or like you know edit live in right. terms of the camera you're taking when you're setting things up. Like because it was live, you know, uh, Delbert Mann could do that entire. What you gonna do? What are we gonna do tonight, Marty? Uh, scene in like one long take just you know looking at the two of them sitting next to each other you don't have you know over the shoulders or like a bat you know right, right. Uh, close-ups that you cu- you're cutting in between you just let it they just let it play out and it's a live aesthetic that never would have sat in a film when they were making it if he had had to make it as a right. film first like right. you know he can take that aesthetic and apply it to the film after the fact but the constraints of doing it live meant he stumbled on this really great solution to that scene, which is less is more. So right, 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 yeah. right. Yeah, it's really, it's really fascinating just the time frames they're working on too, right? Because they're they're maybe doing three weeks mm-hmm. from from first first read through to live show, uh, and. <laughs> Well, with Marty, with Marty, it's it's crazy because Patty Chayefsky hadn't even finished the script two and a half <laughs> weeks before before air. Uh, yep. <laughs> right, and and the idea that like we're you know we kind of batted around a little we will bat around a little bit. Boy, time is weird. Um, is the idea that essentially because it's like a three week lead in and your cha- it's a different production each week, what you're essentially doing is inviting fifty million people into like. What is a, essentially a black box theater or something where you like uh, where you put yeah. on a different show once once a week or once a month? Mm-hmm. It's like a wild idea that like well that's just never going to happen again. You're never going to have a yeah. fifty million person audience for a thing that only uh, well you know we change the show every week you know this yeah. is what we do. And no time for sergeants really feels like it's just black box theater. Like, oh yeah, it's yeah. like yeah. they're just lean into it and they're just like yeah you're just going to accept it like this is I mean it's like right you can see that style like just done on a stage exactly like that like it's uh the other films you know try to you know have different sets more or less but like you know 
on no time for sergeants they're just flying things in and out and like just like working all within the confines of that set and it's just right. it works great it's just like it's being at like a a little black box theater is exactly what i thought of so yeah yeah it's really fascinating looking at at all of these um not just these three but but all eight in how different productions handled the constraints uh no time for sergeants does it very strictly theater wise mm -hmm. uh with with you know put put andy in the spotlight and you can do whatever you want behind him because you're not going to see what's going on back well there. especially you like my, my favorite thing is like i it's a really dumb thing and i only paid attention to it at the very beginning but when he's doing the first intro the the fence he's sitting on gets pulled off stage by stage yes. they clearly yes. pulled off stage by stage hands it just like slides away and i'm like oh boy i didn't expect to watch like pure theater nonsense happen like on a tv yes. screen yeah, yes. yeah. Everybody had to wear their show blacks that day. Uh, right. And my favorite part of that is actually when, like, they get on the train uh, and they like just like walk <laughs> sideways and oh, we're in a train car and they're almost like walk yeah. they're almost like walking like in place to try to like simulate the movement. It's right. So right. Great. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, whereas you know, patterns, patterns and Marty both have distinct sets, right? Yeah. Um, and you know. It's also fascinating, um, you, see, you know, they're doing, they've got these act breaks. They've got the commercial breaks, right? So they have a little bit of time to reset, to costume change, but still not a lot of time, a couple of minutes mm -hmm. tops. Yeah, I think in one of the intros uh, they describe exactly how long, the one of the special <laughs> features later on that we watched describes exactly how much time it is. And it's like, I think, was it like a minute 20 or something like that for yeah, the long breaks yeah. or something? Thereabouts. <laughs> um that's not the uh, six-minute commercial breaks we get now. Yeah, no, 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 no. No, yeah. no I yeah, think these we... are—they're uh, mostly these are all hour longs, and they're about forty-eight minutes. So that's right, only right. twelve minutes of commercials for an hour-long program. And right. today, an hour-long program would be you know forty point five minutes, or maybe if it's really like high-end, uh, it might be forty-three minutes long. But like there would be a lot more commercials in an hour long right. today. Which you know would make this whole production a lot easier they should bring it yeah back. right right yeah they should <laughs> they can bring back yeah. they can finally bring back live tv because you can do a six hour or six minute commercial break where like heck we can we can like redo the set if we have to in six minutes yeah. guys yeah. change well, studios if we yeah have yeah to. really they, uh, yeah it switched a whole new room they have been trying to bring back live tv but they've been bringing it back as like you know gigantic elaborate events and the, that's right, the right, right. polar opposite of these very like intimate right. little dramas so and comedies so yeah. yeah yeah live tv you know frequently i remember while growing up there would be you know specialty events where uh you know uh drew carey did an all live improv right. episode or there was that live episode of uh was it er or chicago hope i can't remember but one of the medical ER. dramas yeah ER, um, i think yeah uh where they <laughs> Where they they really laid on the gimmick because they even uh, referenced a basketball game that was happening mm -hmm. during during the episode so that they could prove that it was right <laughs> that it was live. Uh, but yeah, so they're always they're always the special event, and it's always how weird it is, right, that they're doing it live. Whereas here, it's just so normal, right? Well, right? and like because something all like they, all they could do something like the Drew Carey, right? It's really supposed to like. You're with all of them. It's supposed to key into your mind. They're like, "Oh, look how talented these people are at this thing that we definitely couldn't." Right. You know what I mean? Like, "Oh, right. They can do this live. They're good enough that they can do this live." Right. 
uh, it's supposed to impress the audience to a certain extent, right? Whereas here, it's like, well, this is just how TV's done. Like, what else are you going to do? Videotape it? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And, of course, it is super impressive. Yeah. But, but, uh, yeah, it's just normal, too, right? Um, Yeah, I just imagine... Just from the, the technical aspects of doing it, you gotta block the whole thing. You gotta, you gotta make sure the cameras are just rehearsals are so, mm-hmm. and the fact that they're only they only have two weeks to get that all right. Uh, well, yeah. and like, uh, I mean, one well, of the th- yeah, go ahead. Well, let's see. If, uh, the only live TV I've worked on is American Idol about fifteen years ago, uh, and the fact that they were on like a three-week schedule for live tv for this is we were kind of on a three-week schedule with like our stuff like you know performers would like you know pick what they wanted to sing three weeks in advance so they would have three weeks to work on like uh what they're going to sing and they're also working on the stuff they're going to do two weeks from now and the stuff they're going to do this week but like everything is still on that three-week cycle right right, right i worked on just as an intern on 24 and that was, you know, not live TV, but also, you know, they would shoot, they had two directors working at, you know, any one time and each director's working on two episodes. Uh, so functionally an 80 minute movie and they were on a three week schedule where like they had, you know, three weeks to shoot and, and get the first cut done of each episode. So, you know, so three, I, three weeks is, you know, that's uh, everything's kind of still a classic. crazy is what uh, everything is still crazy. And it's kind of yeah. like a classic time frame. Like, oh, we don't have enough money or time to do a month. Can't possibly do that. So yeah. there you go. So, ah, well, let's uh, dig into them individually, I suppose. Okay. Um, Marty uh, aired uh, as Philco Television Playhouse, May 24th, 1953. As I said, written by Patty Chayefsky, who uh, they happened probably for uh, reasons that the studio was in use uh, for the week's airing. They did their rehearsals at a uh, at a ballroom in a local hotel, and it happened that one night a week in that ballroom was a Lonely Hearts Club dance, and Patty Chayefsky at rehearsals. So they were all. Uh, looking at the signs posted for the Lonely Hearts Club dance, and one of them said, ladies, dance with the man who asks you, men have feelings too, or something to that extent. And uh, Patty Chayefsky decided he was going to write a play, uh, a script based on uh, a woman who would go to one of these dances. And he he told uh, Delbert Mann that, and Delbert Mann said, sure, whatever, and went back to to his... uh, to directing the uh, rehearsal. Um, this is Delbert Mann's telling is that he completely blew him off. Um, and then, uh, and then Patty uh, decided it was going to be a man instead of a woman who would go to one of these. And Delbert Mann again said, yeah, whatever. Uh, that sounds great. Just write it. Um, and then he went to writing it and it happened that they canceled. They had to drop a script like the next week. Uh, <laughs> so they called Patty and said, Hey, uh, how's uh, how's that thing coming? And he had a, an act and a half of a three act. Said he had blocked out the third act in his mind, and he could have it by the end of the month. And they said, "How about by Thursday. the end of the week?" Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, he got it to him. Uh, they started with uh, with acts one and two. He finished up that night, sent it over, 
Uh, and the first read through two days later, he showed up with act three. Uh, so he wrote this whole thing really quick. Uh, it was originally called love story and apparently standard practices did not want love story to be the title of this. Um, (laughs) don't practices like love. It's too, that's a fishy word. We don't, we don't try that nonsense. No one understands any of standard and practices reasonings ever. Yeah. Um, Even today. So so anyway, it was called Marty instead. Uh, As I said, February 63, uh, this was aired in a, in a MoMA retrospective uh, retrospective. Uh, And then there's the film version in 1955 um, where Ernest Borgnine comes in instead of Rod Steger. Uh, Steger apparently was asked, but they, wanted it to be a multi-picture deal and he did not want to give up his freedom to choose to do other things um i don't know if it would have been an entire marty saga in that multi-picture deal i don't think <laughs> probably not <laughs> i don't think that's the, how the, it st- ended the up. story uh, of marty it, it was probably more along the lines of like uh you I'm know sure. like the the old contracts they would put the the stars under which that right. whole system was collapsing in the late 40s and early 50s so actors would have been trying to not get wrapped up into contracts right, as right, a contract right. player. So right, that's right. probably more to do with that. So I'm, I'm sure, but I still want to imagine you like the idea of like possible the, existence of the, the Marty, Marty quadrology or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah, born nine in it instead. I, I've never seen the film version of this, but I have, I have some friends who really, really love it. Uh, it's excellent. So, I yeah. I have only seen it once, uh, and now I've seen the TV version twice. But uh, there you go. Uh, I remember it being really good. It's, uh, but I don't really remember what the differences are. <laughs> right. So right. right. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was really impressed with the camera work in this one. You already talked about you know the the decision being made in you know you want to end up doing it this way in a film um whereas other ones we've seen really get down into the three camera stuff you know uh this one this one's two years before those others so right this is 1953 the others are 55 and in between they you know they worked out a lot of different stuff in terms of lighting and cameras so yeah yeah this one's got a lot of long takes um Mm I was particularly impressed with uh, with at the dance where we keep panning across the dance floor, and then uh, and then back through the crowd when we first meet um, the dog, so to speak, Clara. Um, yeah, it's just <laughs> it's a lot more dynamic than I was expecting it to be. Yeah, it's it's incredibly well done, and doing it uh, live and everything is in is really impressive, and the you know, it's because the the blocking is so clear, both for the, what the camera's right. doing and the actors are doing that, and the the set design allows it all to work too. It's just, you know, it's all just so very, very, very well thought out and executed. It's it's a step above, even being earlier, it's a step above some of the others. So, which yeah. is which is yeah. really amazing when you consider the fact that the timeline we were talking about is even shorter than probably the normal, right? Because it's like, well, yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. we didn't we didn't even have Act Three until like. The day we did our first reading or whatever, it's like, well, that's, yeah, that's not a lot of time to figure things out. And that's sometimes why it's better, because, like, the less time you have to overthink it, 
and we're right. just on instinct, sometimes you uh, uh, hit a home run. So, you know, right. sometimes right. you strike out, but, you know. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. right. You know, thinking about that, uh, you know, we talk, we'll talk about the comedian coming up and, uh, yeah, overthinking it and putting too much work in, into it. Uh, the comedian, um, everyone showed up for the first reading and Mickey Rooney did it perfectly and then got bored with it and, and did, did a different version of the character every, every subsequent day of rehearsals. Uh, and it was just every, everybody on set's job to keep Mickey Rooney doing it the good way instead of doing it his new way. Uh, so, you know, that maybe if, if it had been a little, a little more time crunch, um, yeah, yeah, maybe that would have happened. The comedian could have been a smoother production. Well, and Not Mickey that... Rooney's a film star, and so right, right, especially right, right. you know comics, uh, they're used to throwing lots of different things out there so that you can put together the best comedic version. Uh, right, it's right. it's a it's film acting approach rather than theater acting, which is what you're getting here, where you know the theater actor is going to oh, hit absolutely. their marks every single time and do it the same way every night because that's what they're supposed to do for theater. So right. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, and one of the one of the featurette things that comes with this talked about sort of the timing on that stuff. It's like the you know really like down to the to the wire of like if you don't hit this mark at this time, the close up one happened, or we're just gonna have to go to commercial in the middle of a dialogue. It just <laughs> will have to happen, and it's like well, you know you have to hit those marks or it's it's all ruined, right? So mm-hmm. right, right, yeah, yeah. Marty's just. So technically impressive, uh, and the the story like right <laughs> is just incredible. It's not just the, you know, uh, the two lonely hearts like you know people coming together like an atypical love story. It's it's the it's almost like a meditation on loneliness because it's it's not just Marty and Clara. It's his mother and his aunt as well. Right, and right. like all these different facets of you know, and it's you know. In a sense, it's explicitly about marriage, but in a lot of ways, it's it's more about aging, uh, and our place in the community, and and with our relationships, and like you know, and just the pain of loneliness, and you know, needing more from people. Like you know, you know, Marty's mother needs her sister, and her sister needs her just as much as Marty and Clara need each other. And it's that it's that parallel of the A and the B stories together that makes it really powerful, right. I think. Right, yeah. Right. Without 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 the mother stuff, the Marty story wouldn't be all that impactful otherwise. It would just be sort of a pretty standard, like Lonely Hearts type mm-hmm. story. Oh, they finally found each other and, and two yeah. people that didn't really couldn't find anybody finally found each other. But adding in the mothers sort of like almost monkey paw s sort of like i desperately want my son to be happy but also that means i'm going to inherently become lonely and 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 not have anybody with me anymore and i won't be able to take care mm-hmm. of him is a really is what makes it interesting to, to me at least it makes it more dynamic yeah. and interesting yeah it's it's, it's uh, incredibly impactful it's, it's the part that i had forgotten having seen this version and the film version before because I just remembered it as like a story just about Marty and Clara and I'd completely forgotten that other side, but that's the side that makes everything like really resonate. It like it, it all, all parts of it working together. And it's those, those little pieces that are really impressive. Yeah. I mean, it, it was, 
I was a little worried when I when sorry because you know I don't really have any background on this at all, and I was like, well, this is pretty, pretty standard stuff here. And then then we started getting in, into the mother stuff, and I was like, oh, this is this is a lot more fascinating. But like, you know, they're all gonna like the kind of idea that like nobody's really in the end like you know marty's going to become happy but by nature of becoming happy his mother's going to become happy and and there's a lot of fascinating stuff there i think and it's yeah. the uh it's it's the end of an era too of you know uh the cusp of like the suburban boom and right. like where the expectation still was in the early 50s just like it was in the 40s and you know for 100 years before that that like you know, someone had to take care of your parents, of the children. So the parents were going to move in with one of the children at some point and live with them. And and you can tell that Marty and his family are like upper middle class, like his father was a butcher, because they have a house and, you know, they're not living in a large apartment like or like you might see in the Godfather movies where you have like five generations all living in a two room apartment together like this. Right. Right. All, all of this stuff was on the way out, but it was still incredibly relevant. And it's, it's interesting that it's like capturing that moment in time, uh, right before everything changed for how right. generationally we dealt with, uh, family and living situations in the well, United States. And especially what's fascinating is the idea that they want to move to apartments, right? There's still, we're not quite re- we're not quite at the point that we get to even in a later movie or later teleplay in the series the idea that like he that his his their whatever his cousin who got married bought a new apartment in the city and then mm-hmm. Marty talks about oh we should get another apartment in the city like not even like five years down the road within five years Marty would be like oh well, we should move to this uh, you know Long Island like, exactly island. we're yeah. gonna I'm gonna uh-huh. I'm gonna go for the one and a half hour, one and a half hour, two hour commute instead of, yeah, you know, getting an apartment in the city, and it's like, wow, this is like, it felt really wildly like a time machine because you're like, what, what, an apartment in the city? What are you talking about? Except for now, we've <laughs> kind of looped back on that, which is fascinating. Come on, Pat, well. it's only forty five minutes on the train. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know anything. I've, I've, I, my commuting experience is very different than anybody else's. I don't know anything uh, about American <laughs> commuting at all. Uh well, um uh, New York is very different to anyone else. Well, that's also true. I've, that's also true. I've never had a chance to be in New York City yet, but I did work on a documentary series for CNBC called Consumed, and all of the transitions in that episode cuz in those that show uh were a lot of them were based on they would shoot the areas of uh New York City they were at. And then the producer wanted all of the transitions from one story at a restaurant in one part of New York City to another story in a restaurant to be geographically accurate. And I had to assemble all of these transitions in a way that made sense. So I kind of know New York geography because there of like having there worked on a New York based show. It's, nice. it's kind of funny. So there you so. go. Very nice. Very nice. Well, um, speaking of this being the capturing of a moment you know our young our young writers are definitely part of capturing that moment uh and patty patty's writing here is chayefsky's writing here is uh of his time uh and is telling a story of of people of his time of you know i don't know that marty is extremely 
based on Paddy Chayefsky. I don't think that Paddy <laughs> Chayefsky would admit it if no. he were. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but but it's still uh, a personal story of a particular time period. Um, and the next one, Patterns, is also a fairly particular time period too, a time of transition of, uh, of industry to what corporation is today really too, right? Yeah, I mean, um, oof, Patterns, man, yeah. oof. Patterns is written by Rod Sterling. Um, originally aired January 12th, 1955. And as I said, it was so popular. The New York Times reviewed it so well and said, you guys need to redo this one. So they redid it on February 9th, uh, less than a month later. Um, and then the film version came out less than a year later, uh, or just over a year later. March 27th, 1956 was when Patterns, the film, was released. Uh, with... Uh, Everyone returning except for the star, <laughs> um, unsurprisingly. Uh, everyone playing slightly different. Every, all the, the film version of Patterns, everyone's renamed for some reason. Uh, I don't know why, <laughs> except, for, except for Staples himself. Everyone is renamed. Well, uh, it's really fascinating because even like, vi- like legitimately, not just renamed, but like, for example, um, they're like names that are the same are spelled differently for some reason. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah. Ramsey's the spelling of Ramsey is changed. It's very yeah. fascinating. Like somebody is like, well, we just, we'll just, we'll just turn this into a Y here. It, this is fine. Make it different enough. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Ed Begley comes back and, and plays his same character, but it's, it's not Sloan. It's, uh, well, it's something else. William Briggs. Yeah. It's, it's a, a lot of Briggs. really strange changes. <laughs> for kind yeah. of weird reasons that I don't understand, but whatever. Yeah. But uh, maybe we'll get a chance to talk about it if our supporters vote for, vote for us to <laughs> that, for that one. We'll one, dive yeah. into that a little more. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, this is... This is... I think, <laughs> I think... I think Sterling himself has said that this is his favorite of his writing. Um, I've seen that quoted. I don't know when he said that. Uh, this is uh, years before uh, Twilight Zone started, you know. So <laughs> there's a there's a window where it, it might not be uh, his favorite yeah. thing anymore. Um, it's uh, it's interesting because it starts off kind of as like a morality play on the immoral world of the business, and then it becomes a deal with the devil movie at the right, end. Right, 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 and, right. This was well, the one I remembered being my favorite the first time around. And watching it again, I was like, "No, I don't think it's my favorite." Like, like it's like like the, the dialogue is like really great, uh, and the characters are really well defined for how like the limitations of like the the time limit they're working under forty eight minutes. But uh, I think I had always remembered this movie, you know, as he like walks off like you know, to go back to Ohio at the end. And I think that's because the apartment, which is a lot like this movie, uh, but came out, you know, uh, five years later, uh, you know, Jack Lemon ends the apartment leaving, you know, New York, and he's going to go back to Ohio or wherever it is he's from originally. Um, And, uh, you know, he's given up the, the evil corporate rat race. He rejected the deal with the devil. And, patterns embraces it that's both like the the really like daring thing that it does and it's also kind of like the awful thing where you're just like wait what <laughs> yeah no it's it's really 
surprising. And honest, too, yeah, because you yeah. kind of would expect that to be like ex- actually what actually Yeah, I happen. mean, it's definitely more truthful in that sense. Mm-hmm. It's just really fascinating because, yeah, like that deal with the devil is so you can see the sort of internal justifications forming in our character, like as he just sort of morally compromises completely by the end of the mm-hmm. movie. And it's like, it it is really... I very unexpected. Like you just don't feel it happening until it, suddenly you're in it and you're like, "Oh, this is this is happening. We're yeah. doing this now." Well, that's the that's the title, right? It's the cyclical and, nature of the yeah, it of is. the corporate world. Yeah. It's yeah. it's absolutely the title and it's it's interesting. I feel like the last time I watched this, you know, was probably 10 years ago and and the 10 years since then there's been, you know, between, you know, Me Too and everything else that's happened in the world like there's been a lot of light shown on toxic work environments and toxic supervisors and bosses and everything else and the way that those are negative feedback loops that reinforce generationally and uh and looking at this now again whereas like before it felt like i was just like yeah this is the way junior executives are like you know i totally like get it you know without really recognizing it quite as much as like a deal with the devil kind of thing like you you feel like he's still the hero at the end at least i did 10 years ago and now i look at it and i'm just like this is the same toxic bullshit that everybody is dealing with today and nothing has changed like that's the title right that's really what i think sirlane was getting for uh getting trying to get to but i think the the culture is just so uh, ingrained and repulsive and unstoppable that it's just like him choosing to continue to go along with it. Like doesn't quite feel like the betrayal that I think maybe Sir Liam was looking for. Right. Well, yeah, yeah, I would definitely agree with that. I, I mean, it, I, I, you get what, yeah, you get what Sir Liam's going after, right? You're like, Oh yeah, this is, this is, this is cutting. This is like meant mm-hmm. to, but like we're all kind of, used to it and even the people at the time were pretty used to it this is the way things work and then mm-hmm. you combine that with the fact that like unfortunately you run into the classic war movie problem of like some percentage of people watch this and be like yeah like he's did it mm-hmm. he's gonna fix this company from the inside it's like no no, no. he will not nope. that will absolutely not happen but in, uh, there's some percentage of people who watch that and are like yeah that's you know because it's it's not hard to read this movie that way right like it's not mm-hmm. because right. it is a movie and he's the hero it's very easy to walk away going, well, yeah, no, he's going to, he has the right to even punch his boss if he has to. Like, he's going to fix this company, you know? Like, no, 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 let's be serious here. But, like. Yeah. No, it's 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 amazing how you, like, look at the, di- I look at the dialogue now and you just see, like, he's a man- manipulative, like, like, just all the techniques he's using are just, like, for manipulating and abusing his employees and making them complicit within it. Like, it's like, like, that's the, the tragedy of the ending is he's gotten this guy that was resisting what, you know, his whole, you know, abusive approach to, you know, work was, and he's now had him completely bought into it. He's part of the system now and like, he'll perpetuate it. And yeah, it's like looking at it now, it just looks, it, it, it feels more like a record of it and less of a critique. Right. 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 Yeah. And he's bought into it even after he'd seen the systems mm-hmm. at its very like, worst. Literally right? kill a person. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like it's yeah. yeah. And of course we also have classic Serling in being a little too on the nose in our our boss being Ramses. Uh <laughs> right, Pharaoh. Right, right, I hadn't yeah, even yeah. thought uh, of that. But uh 
yeah. Well, <laughs> unsurprising. Uh, well, well, but, you know, if you if you're gonna make if you're gonna make TV and you're gonna try to make a point, you gotta be really on the nose. You only got forty eight minutes. Sometimes, or whatever, right? sometimes it's true. It's true. Uh, but yeah, similarly, I I wasn't sure watching this where it was going to go, and I think the ending is earned. I wasn't. I didn't think it was out of left field. I am just very, very disappointed <laughs> in the main character. Well, for, but that's the thing, right? Is that, that like, way, right? But like in that in that sense, the movie, the story is very successful, right? Because you're supposed right, to be disappointed right, right, at this right. guy. Like you're supposed to walk yeah. away going, like, man, this guy, what? Like that was. I didn't want that to happen. You know, you're so like it's very successful in what it's trying to do. In that sense, the problem is, is that like, you know, as we talked about, like, yeah, this is. It's very successful and a thing that is very depressing and not really like a thing that like we we necessarily want to see, right? So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And this is from an era where Ramses is only making ten percent more than his vice right instead of, instead of fifty times or whatever. Yeah, uh, uh, I I think he was probably making more like you know fifty like the just the character that he was like it's yeah like, that's right, true right, that right, yeah right. He the is, vice yeah. presidents might not be making that much more but he was you know he was making vastly more so yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a. Uh, it's also it, great. Uh, to- he, I mean, this is probably just because I I read too much Twitter, but like, he was really reminding me of everything I've read about Fred Trump. You know, like uh, <laughs> a a really like horrible, hostile, like wretched excuse of a human being that drove people insane in building up his empire. Uh, and uh, you know, I think that 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 kind of like New York corporate you know, industrial real estate oligarch at the time was like exactly what Serling was talking about because yeah. like the stuff I've read about him, it feels like what you see with the, uh, the Ramsey's character in this. Right. So. I mean, yeah, you see some here or somebody here that like, you know, in your head, this one isn't even going to build libraries after it's all said and done. You know what I mean? This <laughs> right. one's not going to do no anything. Kind of yeah. yeah. So. Nothing to even yeah. try to re- rehabilitate that at the end. It's just going to be, Nope, we're going to ride this, all the way into the grave, basically. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, say- the, uh, the, the throwaway asides that like we can justify laying people off. Cause like we'll totally employ twice as many down the road. If we lay them all off right, now, right, I was right, just like, right, you, right, right. God, yeah, yeah. it's like, we hear this exact same rhetoric today <laughs> and it's as much bullshit today as it, like, as it was then. So, yeah. 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 And okay. I've already, I've already said, Serling was was too on the nose with Ramsey's name. I will point out a place where he's more subtle that I really really love is that um, when Sloan is talking about how long he's been with the company, he says he's worked with it since Ramsey's dad founded the company. Mm-hmm. And then when they actually have the confrontation, Ramsey's is all about I built this place from the ground up. Mm-hmm. Right. It was yeah. it was twenty people mm-hmm. when I started this business. Right, and he's yeah. I mean, it's, the, it. it's that classic. Yep. It's that just yep. that classic bullshit. That it's so good. Yeah. yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. No, I I I noticed that too, and I thought, oh, that's so clever. Like you've already yeah. heard that he didn't start the business, but he's already erasing the like the truth of it to like take credit right. for everything. So. Right. <laughs> See the trick. The trick if you're going to do that is get it written in your contract that you're yeah the yeah uh-huh. that you actually founded yeah. the company you had nothing to do with yeah. Uh, That's what you're really gonna do. <laughs> ah, 
Well, this one... And uh, uh, it have an emerald mine to fund your wealth. Yeah, that's yes, always yes. really helpful, too. <laughs> it's very helpful, very helpful. Um, this one, I suppose I was less technically impressed with, though I suppose it is still live. So the fact that they are, you know, switching between sets that quickly is not, not unimpressive. There's, <laughs> a, there's a lot of... The sets are the most elaborate of these three. Right. Uh, and there's a lot of them. They, yeah. It doesn't feel like you're, like you know just in a new set the way it kind of does in marty like it right. feels like you're moving through an actual office right. space and that's like that's really uh really really well done in terms of how they designed all of that with like the limitations of what they were right. working with and i, I mean even yeah, the, the, fact that... the opening is very like cool and well done with like like hmm. looking at the telephone switchboards and then and then literally bouncing off the different secretaries, which are not the main characters, but it kind of gets you into the whole office world as right. the day is starting. It's and very, you kind of get a, nice. a feeling for the geography of the place that, mm-hmm. like, oh, I could actually maybe navigate this build, the, at least this floor of this building in a in a meaningful right. way, which is really fascinating for a bunch of sets, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. the set design in this one is is incredibly impressive. Uh, I also yeah. just like the idea of just making his office the most like cliched nonsense in the history of mankind. It's like, oh, you like, you like You're the uh, all American like, boy. You play yeah, like, it's like for sitting Ohio in a fucking State. rocking chair. Like, I'm like, what the hell? Sorry, that was just that. The rocking chair was too much. Every time he sat in the rocking chair in an office, I was like, no, come on. Oh, it was so let's, good. Let's be, was so good. let's be serious here for a minute. Now, that is, that is Serling drawing on his own past. He went to Ohio State. Uh, I don't think he was uh, and wrote all of his and all of his stuff in in a rocking chair. Apparently, yeah. <laughs> maybe wrote it. In. Yeah. Actually, no, he did. He did uh, hang out in the corner booth of a uh, of a restaurant I used to hang out at myself, uh, which has unfortunately since closed. Uh, and had its in the beautiful last three mural years. painted over. And had its beautiful mirror. I am mad about that. Thank yeah, you for I, I, br- thank you for remembering that. that I'm mad about that, yeah. so that I can be mad about it again. Uh, no, the place was called the Blue Danube, and and here's the. <laughs> Now, the beautiful thing about that mural is actually the mural is only a decade old. Right, right. The restaurant's been open since the 50s, but the mural was only a decade old because uh, in about 2005, I think it was actually, uh, somebody spray painted Fuck the Police on the side of the building and and to paint over that. They painted a really nice mural. The owners mural. commissioned a mural of the Blue Danube flowing through, uh, oh, I can't remember what city it is, but... Um, whatever European city the Danube bl- thro- flows through. A beautiful place, but they painted over it two weeks ago so they could sell the building after it's been empty for two years. So uh, anyway, uh, yeah, I've sat in the same booth as Rod Serling without knowing it and then learned <laughs> accidentally later on <laughs> and said, hey, it's probably not the same booth, but it is in the same position in the building. So Very I'll cool. take it. So. <laughs> uh, well, No Time for Sergeants is our last one. Move on to this. This is U.S. Steel Hour. Uh, March 15th, 1955. You think Ramsey's ever sponsored a live television play, <laughs> weekly play, the Ramsey's? I'm sure he would have. I would hate to so. imagine what, what that be, would be like. Do we even know what, what yes, business absolutely. they're actually in, in patterns? I don't know. So, some just, sort of, some just, sort of like industrial production. It's definitely industrial. Uh, I think they're in the business of vertical integration, it, but... and that is the uh-huh. extent of, of what they're doing. <laughs> it's it's possible. I mean, yeah, they they could be a, consoli- a consolidation company. Right. Anyway, no time anything. for sergeants. Yeah. As I said, March fifteenth, nineteen fifty five. This one actually ended up being remade as a Broadway play, uh, and then as a feature film based on the Broadway play in fifty eight. 
I, I don't I, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen the film either, though I think it stars Gomer Pyle from the Armageddon. Uh, like, I don't think it's Andy Griffith in it. Is I thought it, it was or... Andy Griffith in both, actually. Oh, is in, he in, the, in all maybe, of it? Yeah. Maybe the, the Glasses really? character is played by the the Gomer character from... I remember looking it up, and that, I, that I would maybe make it's sense, just because yeah. I then clicked other links on IMDb, and I was just like, oh, look, there's Gomer. So... <laughs> uh, Don but... Knotts is in the film version, by oh, the way. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, anyway, uh, uh, but it is Andy Griffith as Stockdale still. Yes. To um, uh, just briefly completely derail this, did you guys watch a lot of Andy Griffith reruns growing up? Because I watched I, it all the time at my grandparents' house. Uh, so. When I, <laughs> yeah, 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 my my grandparents' house too. Like I, I, I once it whatever whenever they finally mm-hmm. sort of took it off the air, it, like that daytime rerun sort mm-hmm. of thing that I would watch with my grandmother. Yeah, <laughs> I've never seen it since. Well, <laughs> they don't. They, don't, they don't still play it on reruns in Japan. Yeah. So, <laughs> no, 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 no. I can't, I can't say I've ever really. seen it here. I don't know if I don't know if I don't know if an Andy Griffith show level like type of humor uh, would I play think, here or not. I think the small say. town would have really connected. Uh, anyway, um, this is basically what introduced Andy Griffith to the world. Uh, he tells a story in the introduction to this one that he came in for the audition and uh, a lady who he has no idea who was uh, asked him. Lies. Yeah, yeah, that's what he says. He says he doesn't remember yeah. ever seeing her again, yeah. uh, but uh, but asked him, asked him what he does. Um, and he says he, uh, you know, he, he told her he just got on stage and talked Uh so he asked what what he talks about. He says Hamlet, and you know it's Andy Griffith. He's being real coy. He knows he knows his shtick. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the whole point of a stage show to begin with. Was someone like Andy Griffith shouldn't be talking about Hamlet? Mm-hmm. Um, of course, you know. A generation later, we get uh, we get Ernest doing the same shtick, actually performing <laughs> performing Hamlet too. You know. <laughs> Um, right, yeah, yeah. It, it's a classic bit, right? Like Andy Griffith <laughs> right. didn't invent right, it, right, or right, like right, right. will not be the last. But uh, but he started doing his Hamlet shtick, and and he says he did the full ten minute monologue, and and everybody uh, everybody came in, invited someone else, you know, stepped out, grabbed somebody else from the office, and then they'd step out, grab somebody else from the office, and he that's how he got the job. He says, um, but it obviously connected because you know he ended mm-hmm. up doing this on Broadway, he ended up doing this in the film, so. Uh, yeah, I feel like yeah. I've listened to that Hamlet monologue at some point. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure I actually have a have it on record. Uh, yeah, downstairs he's um, got uh, another one that I remember hearing, which is called like "What It Was Was," and he's telling this whole long story, like from the perspective of like a rube that doesn't know at all what's going on, and the it's it's a great little like piece, like just with all of the funny things that are happening to him. Uh, and I think I heard the Hamlet one on that same one, like just kind of a collection of his different like bits yeah. and routines that that he made famous over the years. So yeah, he probably it's... used parts of them in Andy Griffith at some point. So I'm sure, <laughs> sure. I think the the craziest probably, yeah. thing about No Time for Sergeants to me is that it wasn't something Andy Griffith wrote, or that right? it wasn't. So, uh, yeah, just wasn't wasn't one of his. things. Yeah, already, yeah, really. Because yeah. it's uh, he fits so perfectly into this character that it feels like it should be an Andy Griffith thing. I think there's a lot of little actory bits that he does in it, like little additions and stylizations uh, 
that that he probably added like where the the script was just more straightforward and then his elaborations on them and his style and the way he would repeat things like just right. made it completely his own and that's why it feels so much like something he would write that's probably so. true yeah so yeah uh this one seems to have live laughter uh yeah i think they had any definitely... insight on that <laughs> They, yeah, they, I totally. I think they that, shot this it? in front of a I live guess, audience, yeah. which they probably always did with comedies because they were doing it for sitcoms. But at this point, uh, right? I Love Lucy was shooting in front of a live audience in '54, so uh, so they probably, you know, for a live comedy, they were like, "Well, we've got to have an audience laughing, otherwise people won't know it's funny." So. Right, 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 right. <laughs> uh, I there's definitely some parts here where I think probably they can figure out that it's funny, uh, <laughs> but. But thanks for the laughter cues. It's very, very kind of you, television industry. Yeah. We call it we call it sweet. Well, but the, you know, the, it's not. Yeah, like, I mean, you know, it's not a laugh track so much as like because when you have a live audience and they're they're reacting naturally, you know, you can hear their laughters and everything. And if you add in laughs on top of that, it's sweetening the laugh, which is the same thing as like sweetening sound. Like it's yeah. more like you. Well, it's like oh, someone like started right. laughing and then they just stopped because they were like got embarrassed or whatever. And that sounds really, really weird, and you notice it. So you want kind of it to trail off, like ah, <laughs> like right, rather right. than just being like ah, uh, like yeah. that. That it's like you notice it if you don't well, sweeten the, it out to smooth right. it out and make it feel like natural. It doesn't work as well. So like, the wrath tracks get a lot of a bad rap, well, but I don't think a lot of people don't realize how subtle, subtly oh, they're yeah, yeah, approached yeah, yeah. a lot of times. So. Well, and I think what happens is is that like not to kind of like like mm-hmm. it's when they're done badly, right? When uh, like when you watch a show where you're like where you start noticing the laughter, mm-hmm. like what the <laughs> hell is this? Why is this here? Like, and it's kind of you like you enter into some sort of like parallel nightmare universe where like it, this just doesn't feel natural. Like mm-hmm. here, I didn't notice it at all. I literally didn't notice it because it felt very just as it was just part of it. It just felt fine, but then. Then you then you watch what what like I think the show that always I think of is IT Crowd when they do the laugh track and it's just like bam here's a laugh like you know like he tells a joke and the the audience explodes it's a bit like, much it's okay, a bit much. much so much let's back it up a uh, little bit here okay yeah well I think one reason you don't really notice it here is that you were already laughing so mm-hmm. you know oh this one got me laughing several yeah well times, I mean that's like, that is part of it unexpectedly like yeah. yeah I was just yeah it's I thought it was very funny and very good. I mean, it is very. I mean, the, I think it's it's fascinating. It's a kind of a slow burn. Like most of the jokes are like they're laugh, mm. but they're mostly like chuckle until you get to like the last <laughs> right. slapstick, whatever five minutes with the, and it's and it's just it is absolutely actually hilarious. Like, I mean, the, he uh, funny things happen throughout, but that that last five minutes or whatever is just absolutely hilarious. It is, it's so well done, and then. And it, like my son walked in and started watching somewhere around like the halfway mark, and like he died at that part. Especially like when they get it, there's that one last when I forget like exactly. It's like on the way on the last way out, and they all set it off again. It's just so good. It's repetition it's real good. and it's comedy. Very it's funny. like it's hard hard to beat the combination. So. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, it uh, yeah. It's definitely. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, and, they, and when it's something that ridiculous, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's so good. Uh, it's it's really a great like climax for the, like what it is like, especially with as like 
minimalist as everything you've seen is to suddenly have this explosion of confetti right, and, right. and the right. banner and the music and everything. Right. It's like, it just, because it is such a giant contrast, it's even funnier. And then when they repeat it each time it gets funnier. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and they, and they set you up for it, right? Like, you know, you know, right? Like you, they they show they show you the map uh-huh. on the floor. They show you all the cards, right? It's uh-huh. like I know something crazy is going to happen here, but you can't even begin to form it in your head. Like what is this thing that is going to happen? Just, like, and then when it finally happens, covered it's in so that good. confetti, and then it's just like it's oh, just like it oh, right. doesn't matter what else is happening. I just kept like giggling at just how completely like <laughs> yeah, it was so like, good. Yeah, yeah, it really is good. Well, and especially for a comedy, a movie, especially for a show where we literally, basically, mm-hmm. we just don't leave that room. But more, I mean, there's like you know, there's the there's a couple scenes out, you know, there's the dance hall like uh, bar, or whatever that is, and but like we spend most of the time in that barracks. Like the two barracks that we go to are yeah. identical because they're barracks. Like we spend most of our time in there, and it's very minimal because it's a barracks, right? It's just a row of beds on each side, and then to have just an enormous explosion happen in that place. I is uh, just I just I so love. Very good the way that like he gets his revenge on the sergeant without ever seeming like he's getting his revenge on the sergeant just like right and they do it early too like they don't like like he just like he comes up and he's just like uh takes credit for everything and then taking credit for everything and giving credit to the sergeant like just throws the sergeant under the bus and it's just so funny the way that it's done it's just so beautifully pulled off like all of that uh because you you know the sergeant is a jerk and you know like the you know the typical role of a sergeant in Hollywood movies and TV is to be like kind of like the jerk, and, uh, and just to see all of that done so effortlessly and and completely without guile and be so completely effective is just delightful. So, right. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's such a classic bit, right? Like that 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 like Rube who actually like kind of gets out on top because he mm-hmm. he's con- he's just so nice that he like out beguiles this sort of like yeah the kill person. him with kindness it's a classic yeah. bit but like it yeah. requires you to deliver it well it has to be done I mean, well have, to be funny and you have to be an andy griffith very very to, good like, at do it. a kill him, to put over a kill him with kindness yeah. that effectively like you know like uh not not many other yeah. actors and comedians can do that it's not not something jerry seinfeld could ever do so <laughs> Right, exactly, absolutely, yeah, yeah. You have to be, yeah, you have to yeah. be good at it, and he's very, very good at it. It's, it's extremely effective here. Like mm-hmm. you, you believe it. You're like, yeah, this is this person yeah. doesn't have a mean bone in his body. Uh, yeah, yeah. You think Andy Griffith it's that, really uh, doesn't have a mean bone in his body? <laughs> who, uh, who knows? Let's. <laughs> I don't know anything let's about not Andy, Griffith, ruin Andy Griffith. I'm going to keep for it. all of us. <laughs> Hey, Andy, yeah. like, gonna, the last thing Andy that Griffith way. shot was, like, you know, a video of him reprising the role of Andy Griffith with Ron Howard reprising the role of Opie, <laughs> endorsing Barack Obama for president. Right, you know, right, so, right, like, right. you know, like, at the very least, we have that. So, <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is all very well done. I, I, it made me a little nostalgic for this. I don't watch comedy like this. Mm-hmm. anymore really ever in my like not just because i don't want to but also because it just kind of isn't done uh like this this style of comedy and it was really kind of refreshing to watch yeah something like this yeah i mean this is like time, the, so. the template really for nice. 
well, actually, Stalag 17 would probably be contemporaneous with this. To throw another Billy Wilder reference out there, uh, yeah. you know, the classic, you know, concentration camp comedy, uh, which inspired Hogan's Heroes, which this feels very right. like Hogan's Heroes, another, right. you know, sitcom that's basically this right. with like a sergeant and, uh, and yeah, it's, uh, there's, there's something about those, those kinds of like, uh, older comedies that even when they're not great, like if you watch some of the old, you know, Abbott and Costello stuff, like hold that ghost and, you know, their other like movies, they're not great movies, but there's something very like relaxing and almost like comforting about like just the style of comedy and just the, the broadness of it and, and everything. And I think you get that with Andy Griffith too. So, yeah, I was going to, I was going to say yeah, there is, uh, there is his turn in a face in the crowd where he's, Ooh, yes. The most evil an Andy Griffith will ever be. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was going to say, I thought that was soon, but it turns out it's not till spine 970. It's actually, yeah, that's so a fairly recent release. <laughs> uh, we have a while. It's a, uh, a while. It's a Warner Brothers movie, and Warner Brothers didn't license to Criterion for a very long time yeah. until the last like four or five years. And so that's there's a lot of classic Warner Brothers movies uh, that have been released by Criterion in the last few years, and that's one of the big ones. I need to rewatch that. Actually, I was I was thinking of that afterwards, but then I was like, ah, oh, but it's a heel turn in that one, and it's just like it's yeah. so good, but it's also so hard, and it's like. And it's maybe much more realistic to like this this kind of persona and like what these guys often are like. Uh, but uh, it's a tremendous movie and incredible writing, just so well done. So, was that also Patty Chayefsky, or is it Network? I'm thinking of that was Network is Chayefsky. Uh-huh. Um, Bud that, Schulberg yeah, wrote Chayefsky. "A Face in the Crowd," and I have no idea who that is. Um, <laughs> Uh, let's find out. No, well, he 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 wrote the screenplay actually, not, for On the Waterfront, among, among a few other things. So, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So, obviously, <laughs> well known enough. I just didn't know his name, but yeah, it is also uh, directed by Elia Kazan. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> speaking of Waterfront, uh, but yeah. And another we, big, that one's from Columbia though, not Warner Brothers. Another big movie that that Criterion got in s- several hundred spines from now. So. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I probably, I probably won't wait in a, a while, decade yeah. before I watch <laughs> Face in a Crowd because I am. I've I've always been interested in watching it and just never have sat down and do it. And I I probably won't won't wait until it's in the. It's a, time for it's, Lost yeah, Criterion to do it. You should give it a, a chance because it's uh, it's an amazing movie, and oh, yeah. you're not Andy you're... Griffith's performance is incredible. So, yeah, ah, uh, just I can't knowing what I know about the plot of Facing the Crowd, just imagining Andy Griffith do it is what's always intrigued me about the movie. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, which is what's fascinating. Uh. Yeah, the <laughs> right, it's almost right. inconceivable. That's, that's right. probably honestly, yeah. more like. We you mentioned Mickey Rooney and the comedian. Like, I remember watching the comedian and thinking, "This is a lot like a face in the crowd." And it feels yeah. like Mickey Rooney is like more realistically like feels like this kind of guy in the face in the crowd, even than he does in the comedian. And yeah, uh, yeah. So, no, uh, Mickey Rooney and the comedian absolutely feels like that's how Mickey Rooney really is. Uh-huh. Uh huh. <laughs> Andy Griffith, I hope not. Uh, Mickey Rooney, I believe it. <laughs> 
So. And Mickey Rooney also had the nice kid personality, right? Uh, right, like right, persona right, right, with right. his, uh, you know, Andy right. Hardy film. Yeah. Well, I mean, he'd been making movies since he actually was a nice kid, so. Uh-huh. Uh huh. <laughs> which is always a good a good indication that he's not nice or a kid anymore. <laughs> uh, but but yeah. Uh, well, that uh, that comes up. The comedian is uh, disc three, so two weeks from now. Uh, next week we have a wind from the south. Requiem for a Heavyweight and Bang the Drum Slowly. Requiem from a Heavyweight, another Serling one. Uh, but uh, but all very good. I really, I do think that disc one here are the heaviest hitters. I really, I think these are the three most impressive out of all of them. Uh, yeah, I think but so. But they're all very good. Yeah. With the exception of maybe a win from the South. I wasn't that's, super impressed by it. That's from the, the one I remember. <laughs> yeah, that we, we were not impressed by well. one from the South. Um, yeah. yeah. It, that one feels very kind of like movie of the week, like kind of just a small drama that like, you know, plugs in the plugs a hole in the schedule in a way. So which is right. ma- maybe right. more right. typical of like the right. the the thing that you would get every week from these than like than all of these other ones that just like were smashes and became movies, which is a huge chunk of all of these. So, or right. launched the careers of so many different directors and writers and stars. So, yeah. Yeah. And that, that is a thing we will get into in the later episodes on this is like, there's a, a weird bias to this collection that is hard to like suss out. Like are you know, we're seeing these amazing film, like these amazing stories. Like, well, is the standard or is this like, these are exceptional sort of like how yeah. are they picked and like you know why why these ones and like are these exceptions think, to the rule i think versus, these are probably you know, more exceptions standard. to the rule than what was standard and like just the very fact that they got you know presented in that tv series in the early 80s and then got selected and presented on dvd being some of the only things that you can see of tv of that era uh you know like you know right. the cream rises to the top in a way right. uh right so i i you know, we're probably missing quite a lot of stuff that is also excellent. Uh, but also there's probably even more that is middling to mediocre to downright to downright bad. Like, cause you know, right. there's a lot of people's favorite decade is the seventies, but you watch the best 200 movies of the seventies and you're just like, wow, there's like no bad movies in this decade. But you know, there were thousands and thousands right, of movies right, released right, that right, are just right, outright right. terrible that right, you don't right. remember anymore. So uh the i i think we're very lucky to have like this curation of it but it's also it does give you a bit of a biased sample size uh well and that's what we end up kind of we kind of end up going is like well yeah like i mean i wish part of me wishes there were more than like you know eight but at the same time, like, well, how far past eight would you go before you're like, well, these are kind of <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, I'm not enjoying this anymore. Like, how many, how many out of the several thousand that were made would are going to be good enough to like make you feel like I enjoyed? Them? Well, looking forward to the rest of these uh, in a meta sense, as Pat and I have already actually <laughs> recorded those episodes. But uh, thank yeah. you, Adam, for joining. Thank you for your uh, your insight yes, on thank you very much. Uh, on the technical aspects of of television too uh very grateful yeah. to have you here it's uh um, it's great to be here and to to see these again and also to talk about them because it's like it's, that's one of the reasons i wanted to do this yeah, one I, is like these really are movies that aren't talked about very much and it, they're also like there's a lot to uh value and enjoy out of them as well and it's i think it's a really great set and uh 
a really cool era of television when all of this live stuff was happening that yeah, yeah that was like never like that again so right so. well as good as these are i'm going to go to bed tonight thinking about how rod stiger in marty says i'm 36 years old and i'm 37 but also <laughs> rod stiger was 28 when he played marty yeah. he's not even <laughs> I, goodness i look better than rod stiger did at my age so that's i won't feel that bad yeah, yeah. You can, that's All a right. win. Thank right? you, Adam, for so. joining. Yeah, very. Well, nice it was very talk. nice talking with you We've about got, this. Been, this been great okay. talking with you guys as well. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to Lost in Criterion. I'm as always Liam Glass. With me as always, John Patrick Oyatari Dorgan. And we'll see you next week as we continue through the golden age of television. You can find me on Twitter at the Adam Glass. My partner is John Patrick Oyatari Dorgan, and you can find him at J Patrick Dorgan. Check out more of the show at lostincriterion.com or hey, give us a review on iTunes. It's nice. If you really like what you hear, consider supporting us at patreon.com slash lostincriterion. Hey, our theme music is by Jonathan Hape. Check him out at jonathanhape.com. And thanks for listening. We appreciate it.